Okay, my clicker's not working, so I'm gonna give Roland my PowerPoint. Got it? Okay, great. Uh, I left off last week in John chapter 4. Who remembers John chapter 4? Jesus came to the well and there was a woman there. Remember that? And I remember I said this woman had an amazing background story. She had, turns out, talking to Jesus, she had five husbands. And the person that she's with now is not her husband. And then I told you, when I first looked at that, I was like, I don't know about this woman. But the more I, you look into her character, you find out that she was not an adulteress because they either died or ran away. Uh, and she uh, either had a husband who passed away or the husband divorced. So she was left after five husbands, exhausted her ability to remarry. She was taken in by a man, but not as his wife because could she could not marry again. She was taken in as a concubine, someone less status in the house as a wife. And then in the midst of that, co- that conversation, she gets very deep with Jesus and talks about, you know, where's, where's the proper place to worship? Is it Mount Gerasim where, where Moses brought God's people and said blessings and curse? Because that's this mountain, Jesus. And Jesus goes, wait a minute. You don't know what that means. That's not the place. Salvation comes from the Jews. Now, the Jews weren't always called the Jews. They were actually called the nation of Israel. Outside people eventually called them the Jews. Let's take a look at a family tree I got from Ancestry.com. Just kidding. If you can see that, in the middle there is a man named Terah. And Terah had a son named Abraham. He, and so I'm going to focus a little bit on what, why this is important. Abraham is the elected person that God chose to create a new nation. So this is a very important family tree. Now, Abraham had, had a concubine named Hagar because God told him, I'm going to give you a son. So Abraham's like, well, it's been, it's been like almost 20 years. Maybe God wants me to have a son with, with Hagar. And he was wrong. God, God didn't say that. God's like, I'm going to give you a son between you and Sarah. So Abraham jumps the gun, has a son with Hagar, named Ishmael. And they're the Ishmaelites in the Old Testament. And then Hagar and got, got all weird with Sarah, and she kicked her out, leave, and so they leave. And then Sarah dies, and then Abraham remarries to an unknown woman named Keturah. Now, Keturah is very important because she gave birth to a son named Midian. And hold, just remember, she gave us birth to the son named Midian, and they were the Midianites. Although they were not elected, they were not the, the chosen line. Hagar wasn't, nor, and neither was Keturah. It was Abraham and Sarah. So God had a vested interest in protecting that line because one day on December 25th, you're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So God had to protect that nation that line to make sure they survived and faithful to him because Jesus was going to come through that line. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? Sorry to be so scholastic. Okay, so not yet. Not, don't, don't turn the slide just yet. So I want to pick up on a, scene, on a scene because there is a Christmas in the Old Testament. There is a Christmas, and you're like, going, Jesus came, you know, down through the manger and through Mary and Joseph. That is true. But there was a, there was a Christmas 
in the Old Testament. Let me explain this to you. Next slide. Abraham gets a bizarre command from God to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Super bizarre. But he does it anyway. He goes up there, goes on Mount Moriah, ties up his son, and he's about to sacrifice his son because Abraham's mind, he's like, well, God will just raise him from the dead, whatever. So in verse 10, he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on this boy. Do not do, not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Notice the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham. Abraham recognizes the voice. He doesn't ask, who is this talking to me? He's familiar with this voice. He doesn't fear that he's talking to a voice of another God. We, the reader, However, no, the source is not the Lord, per se, but it's the angel of the Lord. What I observe in this passage is that the angel speaks to Abraham in verse 11 directly. And so he's distinguished from God. He commends Abraham, and then he says, I want to commend you, because you have not withheld your son from me. Who does that angel think he is? Well, Geo, he's an angel, he's a messenger. So he's talking on behalf of God. PowerPoint. The angel talks a second time. And he says, Abraham, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. Now he's talking for God. Earlier, he wasn't talking for God. That's weird. Now he says, God declares the Lord that because you've done this, you've not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make you the descendants as numerous as the stars. The biblical writer had an opportunity to make sure the angel and God were distinguished, but he doesn't do so. Weird. It's almost like it's on purpose. PowerPoint. Let's go back to the line. The middle line. That's an interaction that Abraham has with this figure called the angel of the Lord. And then Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. Isaac meets Rebecca at the well. They get married and they have a son Named Jacob. Jacob has two sons. Esau and Jacob. Isaac has two sons. Esau and Jacob. Jacob grows up. Has some trouble. Has to leave his, his area because his brother hates him. Because he, you know, he cheated his brother. And so on the way to his uncle's house. He lays down in the land. And, he's, and, he, and he has his dream. Let's go ahead and PowerPoint. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its tops reaching to the heavens 
And the angels of God were ascending and descending. So he saw angels going down and going up. Now, the, the Bible says in the English, a ladder, but it's actually a ziggurat. It's actually a, like, like a stage, like a stage looking pyramid type in the ancient Mesopotamia time. So that's what he's looking at. So he called it a ladder up and down. Therefore, therefore, above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he'd placed under his head, set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, although the city used to be called Luz. So running from his brother Esau, he sleeps, he has a dream, he's, you know, he's, he's on the move, he's, he's tired, he settles down, he has a dream, he sees angels on the ziggurat, and he sees the figure of God in his dream. And in this chapter, in this, the rest of the chapter, God promises to protect him, and he pledges to bring him back to this location, which is the promised land he promised to Abraham. Now here's where it gets interesting. In chapter 31, Jacob recounts how he got wealthy because he tells a story about how he got wealthy. Because I want to explain that to you because he got wealthy off sheep and his, his uncle Laban was cheating him. Next slide. He tells the story. In the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see all that the male goats were mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you because he's been cheating him. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. The angel of God explicitly tells Jacob in verse 13 that he is the God of Bethel. It's weird. Remember Bethel? When you reach a certain place, you stop there. Who stood by the ziggurat? Who was there? Who did Jacob see? He said he saw God. Now the angel later on says, that was me. What in the world is happening? Who is this angel? Why is he saying he is the God of Bethel when clearly we know that the Lord stood next to the, next to the ziggurat and Jacob saw the Lord? Now the angel is saying, I am the God of Bethel. Super odd. These two passages and these two figures start to get fused together. And this is helpful because Jacob has more divine encounters. For example, he's about to meet his brother Esau, who's mad at him. And so he's left alone on one side of the Jabbok River. He's about to go over and he's by himself. And he, he's just kind of he's, he's by himself. And all of a sudden this guy shows up. And it's like a UFC fight. It's like a wrestling match. This man shows up, and I don't know what started it. I don't know who started it, but it says Jacob was alone, and a man wrestled with him. I don't know where he came from, but a man shows up, and he wrestles with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. 
so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. PowerPoint. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Apparently, this man whom Jacob wrestled was some kind of divine being, mysterious guy, combatant. He says that Jacob struggled with God, and, he, and this, this, this figure was tangible and was real because they were wrestling. What do we make of this passage? A prophet Hosea speaks directly into this interaction, and he reveals the identity of Jacob's opponent. But he adds some surprising details. In the womb, Jacob and Esau, he grabs his brother's heel. As a man, this is Jacob, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked to him there. The opponent is identified not only as an angel, but it, he identifies the angel with Bethel. And that's where the angel said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who in the world is this angel? I mean, are the authors confused? Are we to assume the Holy Spirit got these two characters mixed up? Like, what is actually happening in the text? Why is the angel of the Lord acting like he is the God of Abraham when there's the God of Abraham? Why is Jacob wrestling with a guy he struggled with God, but yet he struggled with the angel who he found at Bethel who said it was God? Super weird. PowerPoint. Jacob is Isaac's son. He has 12 sons. He has one named Joseph, number 11. See him there? Joseph. Joseph goes to Egypt. Remember, he got sold, sold into slavery. He lands up in Egypt. There's a famine. He saves, the, he saves the known world. He's the hero. He brings his dad Isaac down. There's a big party in Egypt. They hang out for a couple hundred years. They stay too long. And then they get enslaved. All right? They got enslaved because they were supposed to go to the promised land, but they didn't. They hung out because life was good. You know, I know the prime minister. Things are good. So Joseph's there. The people get enslaved. And one Hebrew baby who's ordered to be killed gets given to one of the Pharaoh's daughter. And they put the baby in the stream. His name was Moses. And the Pharaoh's daughter gets him and raises him as an Egyptian in the house, although he was he a Hebrew. At 40 years old, this Moses character starts feeling sorry for the Israelites. Nowhere in the text is he, is he taught about God or God or, or any, any forms that say he's taught about God. All we know is that he's Hebrew and he grew up with, with the Egyptian household and the Egyptian religion of Horus and Ra and all that stuff. So at age 40, he kills an Egyptian guard because he's being cruel to the Hebrews. 
He runs for his life. And he goes and meets Zipporah at a well. And Zipporah's dad is a priest of Midian. Where did those people come from? Abraham's second wife had a son named Midian. And the Midianites, for 40 years, teach Moses about God. PowerPoint. And Moses was tending flock of his father-in-law Jethro, who was a priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord, where is, why is this angel always showing up to the most important people in the Bible? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire from within the bush. Moses saw that, the, that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. He saw the strange thing. So Moses thought, well, I'm going to go over there and check it out. Why does the bush burn, but why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from where? Within the bush. Who's in the bush? God's in the bush. And so is the angel. He's in the bush. Why does God need an angel being right next to him to communicate a message? What's that? So the angel of the Lord and God are in the bush talking to Moses. The text says that God observes Moses and calls him from within the bush. It's odd. I thought the angel was in the bush. It's almost like they're blurring the lines of these two figures. In verse 6, we know that Moses turns his head because he's afraid to look at God. That suggests that he discerned something other than the fire in the bush. He saw something other than the fire. Whoa, there's God. Something was in the bush. And we know the angel was in the bush. And we know God was in the bush. And we're going to see the angel again. This, now, there are, way, there are many passages I can take you to with the angel. But I'm just focusing on a couple because I'm trying to give you a thought about Christmas. Because I thought it would be nice to learn about Christmas in the Old Testament. Next one. God's people now have escaped Egypt. They're on the run. The Pharaoh is chasing them. And look who's there. The angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of the Egyptians and Israel. So they're on the run, and the angel of the Lord is in front of the army, leading them out of Egypt. I thought it was Moses, but apparently it's the angel. Who's with Moses? Just a few, after, the, after they are saved from the Red Sea, the angel appears again. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I've prepared. It's the promised land. Sounds eerily familiar to John 14. 
he's prepared a place for us. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion, rebellion since my name is in him. So God sends the angel of the Lord down to lead the people into the promised land. This angel is unlike any angel in the Old Testament. He has the authority to withhold forgiveness for the sin of disobedience. My gosh. I thought only God had that authority. Not only that, but he has God's name. In the Hebrew, it's called Hashem. We sing that song. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Because the phrase, the name, is another way of saying God. This angel has the name, not the letters. He's not holding like Y and W and H. He's not holding a letter block. This angel has God's essence. This angel carries God's name. It's weird. Because in Psalm 20, we sing this song. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of God, of Jacob, protect you. It's a big motif in the Old Testament. Isn't that strange, this angel? You know, when I was doing this study, I'm like, who's the angel think he is? Next slide. He's going to go ahead and he's going to bring you into the land of the Amorites, the promised land. The Hittites are there. The Perizzites are there. Canaanites are there. Hivites are there. Jebusites are there. He goes, and I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe them out. This angel is going to lead you out of the promised land and lead you into the promised land. Isn't that amazing? Who is this angel? Maybe the writer in, in the New Testament can give us some light. The book of Jude, verse 6. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. You see that little C, little blue thing on, on, where it says the Lord in your Bible? has like a cursive C. Click on that. The entire time in the Old Testament, who led them out of the, the, who led them out of the Egypt? Who led them into the promised land? The angel of the Lord. Who led them out of the promised land? Jesus. This is a central teaching. In the Old Testament. You know, we talk about the Trinity a lot. There's your Trinity. The angel of the Lord that Jude writes about is Jesus. Merry Christmas, Old Testament. Merry Christmas. He's been there the whole time. He has a vested interest in that line of Abraham because he's going to be born into that line of Abraham. He's going to make sure they make it all the way. This concept of the angel of God is central to the concept of a Godhead, the Trinity. God being more than one person. Each person being the same, yet not greater or lesser. 
This concept is at the heart of the ancient Jewish teaching of the Bible. It's magical. It's amazing. Is the angel God? They're both these two figures. They're almost fused together. It's almost confused. Why are they? Are the writers confused? No. Is God God or is the angel God? Yes. They're the same. It's magical to find Jesus in the Old Testament. You think he wasn't involved in, until, until the New Testament, until he was born? He's been involved the whole way through. He gets the name Jesus because he has to be born a human. So his name is Jesus. In the Old Testament, he's referred to as two things. The angel of the Lord and the son of man. This concept is at the heart of the Jewish teaching. The point is not that Yahweh is an angel, but the reverse. The angel is God. I know your minds are totally blown right now. Totally blown. That Jesus, you can find him in the Old Testament. He's there. Isn't that cool? So next slide. So what I want you to do now is I want you to enjoy your Christmas time. Okay. Enjoy it. Have fun with your family. Enjoy it. But I also want you to stay deep with God. I want you to stay deep. Go deeper. If you've been a Christian 20 years, go deeper. If you're new, start getting deeper. Because it's great to get deep with God, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This lesson was just to introduce to you the Trinity that we believe in wholeheartedly that God, Father, Holy Spirit, God, Son, Holy Spirit are there. I just showed you the Son in the Old Testament and I showed him to you in the New. He's there. Celebrate the Son. He protects that elected line for a reason, to give us Christmas, to give us the birth. Because the only way to forgive our sins, it needed to have an eternal sacrifice and he was it. And lastly, I want you to love each other deeply. Love deeply. Love your friends deeply. Love your family deeply. I know they're annoying. Love your family deeply. That's my goal this holiday is to love them deeply. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lastly, 